Have you ever had it that somebody that you hold in really high regard, someone who's in a sense maybe an icon to you, somebody you respect and and just think very highly of, um, that you found out something that made you think about them a little bit differently? Maybe you've thought of, uh, you know, we, uh, not long ago, several months ago, there was the um, uh, thing on ESPN called The Last Dance about the Chicago Bulls from the 1990s. And if you watched The Last Dance, they interviewed Michael Jordan a lot. And Michael Jordan was a huge part of that team. Um, he, one of the greatest basketball players ever. Um, as you watch that show, if you watch that show, I, I in the 90s thought he was amazing and incredible and just held him in high regard. You watch that show and you find out um, sometimes a bit of a jerk. Like he wasn't a very nice guy. There were things there that were like, Ugh, not no, that doesn't really hold to my image of him. Um, actually, uh, one that was pretty pivotal for me was um, when I was growing up, my dad was a person that um, I always held sort of on a pedestal, probably is a good way to put it. Um, he's somebody that um, I just respected in so many different ways and thought so highly of, um, and I still do in many ways, but in my late 20s and early 30s, um, there were some things that happened and some conversations that my father and I had and I had with others that changed my image of my dad and my father. God be praised. Uh, he might be watching even now. In fact, I my guess is that he is. We have a wonderful relationship. I, he knows the love of Jesus Christ and lives within that. But our relationship is very different now because of just some things that we learned and we grew through as we walked through that part of his life and that part of my life. Um, and it sort of changed my image of him a little bit. This morning, as we read these passages from the book of Job, um, we're going to get Job talking the entire time. And i got to be honest, as I was reading this passage, my image of Job changed a little bit. Sort of, I saw um, behind the curtain a bit. There's a little bit of brokenness there that shows that hasn't before. We've been through now 28 chapters of Job. Job living into righteousness. Job 1 and 2, God being so um, 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 excited about who Job is and who Job was. But suddenly we see some things here that make it a little bit harder. As we see what's hard for Job, we're reminded of who Jesus is. That's my hope this morning, that as we work through this message, we can see more of who Jesus is. And to that end, let's pray for the Spirit's leading in our conversation that God might be shown to us more and more. Father, be present with us. I pray, Lord, that I do disappear, that you speak to our hearts and minds, and you, if it be your will, use me to do that. Lord, equip us with ears to hear. Equip us with eyes to see. Equip us with hands, Lord, to go out into this world to work and to serve you with hearts, Lord, that are transformed by your presence, your spirit's movement among us. Father, you're the one who does that. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name that you do it today. In Christ we pray. Amen. Encourage you to turn in your Bibles. We're on Job chapter 28, and we're actually going to read four chapters this morning. So there's a lot of scripture. Um, so I'm going to keep moving through that, and then we can continue to learn what God has given us today. From Job chapter 28. There is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. 
iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Now, as we read this portion of the passage, understand Job has responded to his friends and now he's sort of stepping into a different place where he's trying to figure out what's most important here in life. And he starts by talking about the sort of wealth of the world. And he talks about gold and silver. That's where we are now. Verse three, mortals put an end to the darkness. They search out the farthest recesses for ore in the blackest darkness. Far from human dwellings, they cut a shaft in places untouched by human feet. Far from other people, they dangle and sway. The earth from which food comes is transformed below as by fire. Lapis lazuli comes from its rocks, and its dust contains nuggets of gold. No bird of prey knows that hidden path. No falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts do not set foot on it, and no lion prowls there. People assault the flinty rock with their hands and lay bare the roots of the mountains. They tunnel through the rock. Their eyes see all its treasures. They search the sources of the rivers and bring hidden things to light. Where, but where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. The sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of Ophir, with precious onyx or lapis lazuli. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of Cush cannot compare with it. it cannot be bought with pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Destruction and death say only a rumor of it has reached our ears. God understands the way to it. He alone knows where it dwells, for he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. So we start with chapter 28, where Job is seeking wisdom, and he starts by asking this question, what will we go through, what will we do in life if we know that we do something in order to gain wealth? What are we willing to do? Has anyone here ever mined? Has anyone ever done any mining? He starts with that, right? He starts with mining and talking about what we've done. The, the reality of it is, is that within probably 100 miles of here, people have dug mining tunnels that are literally like 10, 15, 20 miles long in order to try to pursue wealth. And we think to ourselves, wow, that's a lot of work, but that's not really who I am, right? But let me tell you, I think that's exactly who you are sometimes because you've done it in different ways. Let me give you an example. I like, I wanted to do this. I wanted, well actually I had some other plans in the meantime, but I wanted to be a pastor. In order to do the thing that I wanted to do, I have a grandfather who barely graduated from high school. I did high school, another four years of undergraduate at a 
uh, Christian college and then another three years later on in life at a grad school. I spent literally 11 years of my life in order to be able to do that, doing all the work, all the sacrifice in order to get here because I wanted a job, first of all. I wanted to do something that was worthwhile and that I felt was valuable. And so I was willing to put the effort in to mine life in order to be able to get what I wanted. We do that. We work. We put effort into things. We seek different, different things that provide for us. The Van Dams have been able to get dirty and work hard and doing the work that you do is not easy. But you're willing to do it because it's what, it's what you're passionate about and excited about. But those things that we're passionate about and excited about, are we same, in the same way excited about Jesus? About the things of God? That's really the contrast that Job is writing here. He's saying, here's what we're willing to do to pursue wealth. Are we willing to do that for something that is infinitely more valuable than wealth? He says, gold can't purchase wisdom. It can't even come close to the value of the things of God. Yet we're willing to do all this. Are we willing to do all that for the sake of the things of God? It's important, isn't it, to do that? Like I, this morning... Right there where the Whitmans are, Laurel O'Brien sat. Ed's not worried about his bank account anymore. He doesn't have any concern about a retirement fund. He's not worried whether or not he's got enough hours to pay his rent, pay his mortgage. Right now, he's much more concerned or he's much more blessed by the things of God. That's really what Job is moving us towards. And we ultimately get to verse, what verse is it? Let me make sure I got, I'm on the wrong page. Verse 28, it says this, and God said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. He lays a path. Let me make that a little bit more distinctive. Turn in your Bibles, James chapter three, right near the end of your Bible. Get to James chapter 3, and we read there in verse 17, it says these words. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. We hear what wisdom is all about and all the characteristics of it. But here's a question. Is that how you begin your day? Saying, I'm going to be about the things of purity that are peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial or sincere? Is that how we sort of keep our focus? Probably not many days. We wake up and say, well, I got to go to work today. I got stuff with my family today. I got to take care of these things today. What Job is calling us towards is wonder in the same way that we put the work into the things of life. Are we willing to put the work into the things of God and the focus on the things that are most valuable, including the wisdom of the Lord? Verse 29, or chapter 29. Job continues, how I long for the months gone by, for the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone on my head, and by his light I walked through darkness. 
Oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God's intimate friendship blessed my house, when the Almighty was still with me and my children were around me, when my path was drenched with cream and the rock poured out for me streams of olive oil, when I went to the gate of the city and took my seat in the public square, the young men saw me and stepped aside. The old men rose to their feet. The chief men raised from refrained from speaking and covered their mouths with their hands. The voices of the nobles were hushed and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouths. Whoever heard me spoke well of me and those who saw me commended me because I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to assist them. The one who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind, feet to the lame. I was father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. I thought, I will die in my own house, my days as numerous as the grains of sand. My roots will reach to the water and the dew will lie all night on my branches. My glory will not fade. The bow will ever be made new in my hand. People listened to me expectantly, waiting in silence for my counsel. After I'd spoken, they spoke no more. My words fell gently on their ears. They waited for me as for showers, drank in my words as the spring rain. When I smiled at them, they scarcely believed it. The light of my face was precious to them. I chose the way for them and sat as their chief. I dwelt as a king among his troops. I was like one who comforts mourners. So here's where we start to see the chinks in Job's armor. He starts by thinking about the good old days, right? Back when things were great and amazing. No one ever does that, right? You don't ever do that. I don't ever think back to the time when I was 20 years old and I could dunk a basketball and run 400 yards in less than a minute and do all the things that I used to do and used to start my weight with the number one as opposed to the number two. I used to have a full head of hair. I don't think about that stuff at all. No big deal, right? Job's living into that. He's thinking about these good old days, but his good old days revolve around the life that he had when God's blessing was with him. How did he know God's blessing was with him? Because he was respected. Because there was all these good things that he was surrounded by. Blessings surrounded him. Now draw that out. Think about what that means. What, he, what Job is saying here is that God's blessing is real to you when things are good. When things are good, God's present. When things are easy, when you are in a good place, emotionally, physically, financially, whatever it is, then God is with you. That's really what he's saying here. And the problem is, is that we're not always in those places, right? In fact, if I remember my good old days, they, all were, they weren't always so very good. 
actually, we can do that pretty particularly, right? We think, okay, I mean, how many of you wonder where is God in COVID? Do you ever have that question? What are you doing, Lord? What are you calling us towards? We're trying to figure out, is God present or how is it that he's present in this? Well, we actually used to think that in the same way, right? How many of you were too busy to be able to stay home and spend time with your family all the time that you should? How many of you were so consumed by other kids' activities, looking at the Wagner sports every Saturday and practices over the course of the week? You would have killed for a night at home with dinner with everyone around around the table. Then God would be present. Guess what? We have that. And we look back on those good old days when we were so very busy. The, pro- the reality of it is, friends, that we're really fickle. We're really fickle in trying to name God's presence or the good things or the blessings in life. We have to step beyond that and wonder instead, where is God's presence? And the answer is everywhere, always. Because that's really what Job is longing for. He's longing for God's presence, but because something hasn't happened yet, Christ hasn't come, he doesn't know it in the same way that we do. We're going to see how he longs for it in the next chapter. Read along with me in chapter 30. Okay, all these people have blessed him. He's been respected by them. Now he says this, but now they mock me. Men younger than I, whose fathers I would have disdained to put up with my sheep dogs, of what use was the strength of their hands to me, since their vigor had gone from them? Haggard from want and hunger, they roamed the parched land and desolate wastelands at night. In the brush they gathered salt herbs, and their food was the root of the broom bush. They were banished from human society, shouted at as if they were thieves. They were forced to live in the dry stream beds among the rocks and in holes in the ground. They brayed among the bushes and huddled in the undergrowth, a base and nameless brood. They were driven out of the land. Now these young men mock me in song, become a byword among them. They detest me keep their distance. They do not hesitate to spit in my face. Now that God has unstrung my bow and afflicted me, they throw off restraint in my presence. On my right hand, the tribe attacks. They lay snares for my feet. They build their siege ramps against me. They break up my road. They succeed in destroying me. No one can help him, they say. They advance as through a gaping breach amid the ruins. They come rolling in. Terrors overwhelm me. My dignity is driven away as by the wind. My safety vanishes like a cloud. Now my life ebbs away. Days of suffering grip me. Night pierces my bones. My gnawing pains never rest. In his great power, God becomes like clothing to me. He binds me like the neck of my garment. He throws me into the mud, and I am reduced to dust and ashes. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand, you attack me. You snatch me up, drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. I know know you will bring me down to death, to the place appointed for all the living. Surely no one lays a hand on a broken man when he cries for help in his distress. Have I not wept for those in trouble? Has not my soul grieved for the poor? Yet when I hoped for good, evil came. 
When I look for light, then came darkness. Turning inside me never stops. Days of suffering confront me. I go about blackened, but not by the sun. Stand up in the assembly and cry for help. I become a brother of jackals, companion of owls. My sin grows black and peels, and my body burns with fever. My lyre is turned to mourning, my pipe to the sound of wailing. Now Job is living in this place where we see more of his brokenness. We see it in two ways. He starts in the first six verses by really talking about these people around him in the world that before he wouldn't have a moment or a second of the day for because they weren't worthy of his effort or his time. And now these are the people mocking him, which is striking because it's something that up to this point in the book of Job, he's been looking for empathy and care and love from his friends who would look at his life and say, this is difficult and we're present with you in it. And he's not able to show that to these other people who have been a part of his life already. And then the second part of the chapter, we see his brokenness continue because he come becomes so self-focused. Verse, verses, excuse me, Verses 16 through 21 are Job's pity party. Has anyone ever had a pity party? Has anyone ever had a pity party today? Maybe we need to talk specifically about it. But we've had those, right? We've had those moments when it's like, why is this happening to me? And we start naming them, right? And we can list all the grievances. We can list all the difficulties. Oh, my husband is like this. My wife is like this. Oh, my kids are like this. My parents are like this. Oh, my work is like this. Oh, this just seems like when we start down that list, we find out really quickly nothing is growing perfectly, right? We can do that in our minds. In the same way that we can write down the thanksgivings that we have and we can make that list long if we move our mind to thanksgiving when we start to think about the challenges we face we can make that list really long too because our mind can be turned to that that's exactly what job is doing he's looking at all the things that are going on and he's saying this is all horrible and it's not fair it used to be good I used to know blessing. I used to know God's presence. I used to be respected in the city gates. Now I'm made fun of. Now I'm a joke. Now I'm a ridicule, and God won't answer me anymore. Really what he's saying is he's saying, I don't know God's blessing because he's not with me in my pain. And that's not fair to Job. Here's how he's going to talk about that. We're going to read chapter 31, and as we do, you're going to see very clearly the word that I want to highlight. You're going to hear it very clearly. Notice it for yourselves. Chapter 31 says this. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. For what is our lot from God above, our heritage from the Almighty on high? Is it not ruin for the wicked, disaster for those who do wrong? Does he not see my ways and count my every step? If I have walked with falsehood or my foot is hurried after deceit, let God weigh me in honest scales and he will know that I am blameless. 
if my steps have turned from the path, if my heart has been led by my eyes, or if my hands have been defiled, then may others eat what I have sown, and may my crops be uprooted. If my heart has been enticed by a woman, or if I have lurked at my neighbor's door, then may my wife grind another man's grain, and may another man, may other men sleep with her. For that would have been wicked, a sin to be judged. It is a fire that burns to destruction. It would have uprooted my harvest. If I have denied justice to any of my servants, whether male or female, when they had a grievance against me, what will I do when God confronts me? What will I answer when called to account? Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? If I have denied the desires of the or let the eyes of the widow grow weary. If I have kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, but from my youth I reared them as a father would, and from my birth I guided the widow. If I have not seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing or the need without gar- needy without garments, and their hearts did not bless me for warming them with the fleece from my sheep. If I have raised my hand against the fatherless, knowing that I had influence in court, then let Let my arm fall from the shoulder. Let it be broken off at the joint. For I dreaded destruction from God, and for fear of his splendor, I could not do such things. If I have put my trust in gold, or said to pure gold, you are my security. If I have rejoiced over my great wealth, the fortune my hands have gained. If I have regarded the sun in its radiance, or the moon moving in splendor so that my heart was secretly enticed and my hand offered them a kiss of homage then these also would be sins to be judged for I would have been unfaithful to God on high if I have rejoiced at my enemy's misfortune or gloated over the trouble that came to him I have not allowed my mouth to sin by invoking a curse against their life if those of my household have never said who has not been filled with Job's meat but no stranger had to spend the night in the street for my door was always open to the traveler if I have concealed my sin as people do by guiding my guilt by hiding my guilt in my heart because I so feared the crowd and so dreaded the contempt of the clans that I kept silent and would not go outside oh that I had someone to hear me I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Surely I would wear it on my shoulder. I would put it on like a crown. I would give him an account of my every step. I would present it to him as a ruler. If my land cries out against me and its, all its furrows are wet with tears, if I have devoured its yield without payment or broken the spirit of its tenants, then let briars come up instead of wheat, a stinkweed in, and stinkweed instead of barley. The words of Job are ended quite a speech and really in essence what he's saying is this if I have not been perfect then you can judge me that's really what he's saying to God he's saying if I haven't done all these things and you heard how many times I said the word if He's really saying, if I haven't done this, then you can look at me and judge me. And what does it say in verses 35 through 36? I sign now my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Surely I would wear it on my shoulder. I would put it on like a crown. He's really saying, if you want to indict me for not being perfect, fine, I'll take it. I'll suck it up and I'll wear it. Go ahead. Because Job believes that he's been righteous. 
Now, except for the last couple chapters where we've seen some of his brokenness shine through, we have no reason to believe that he hasn't cared for all the people that he cared for. There's no reason to believe because as we hear in Job 1 and 2, he's done well. He's been a good follower of God. But he puts himself into a tough place because he says, in essence, if I have done everything in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, right near the end of the passage, in the sheep and goats, if I have seen someone hungry, I gave them food. If they were thirsty, I gave them something to drink. If they were naked, then I gave them some clothing. If they were sick or in prison, I visited them. If all of that is true, then where are you, God? That's really what he's saying. And the problem is that even though Job fulfills Matthew 25, Job, or Job still doesn't know God's presence. He doesn't feel it. Does that mean it's not there? Absolutely not. God is present, but he doesn't feel it. That's his struggle. Have you ever had that where you don't feel God's presence and you wonder, where are you, oh God? Has anyone ever felt that? This is a question I would like answered. Has anyone ever wondered, where are you, oh God? I don't feel you. But for then, for us to know, what are we reminded of later on in the book of Matthew? I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. God never leaves us nor forsake us. But why? Well, that's the problem for Job. He doesn't have the why. He doesn't know it yet. We've talked about this book is the plea for Jesus. Jesus hasn't come yet. In a sense, really, what I wish Job could have is, maybe, maybe I could do it. That'd be neat. Show up at the campfire where Job and his friends are. There's three friends, and eventually in the next chapter, Elihu shows up. There's a fourth friend. There's Job. And someone walks in and hears Job make his lament, and Job's words are ended, and the response becomes this. Job, let me give you what you need. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. And then after a breath, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Job is longing for right where we are right now. He's longing for the coming of Jesus. That's where we are. Advent begins next week Sunday. And my hope and my encouragement and my prayer for all of you is that since Job doesn't know those songs nor the truth that they represent, that we can bless the kingdom of God by raising our voice in a COVID world, 
in a different way, being reminded that although this is hard and although there is suffering, God's blessing and presence is is real. Even though sometimes my relationships are difficult, even though people like Ed and Marty are no longer with us, even though hard things happen at various times, that you are with me always. I know your blessing forever and always, and there will come a time when I will experience your presence, oh God, for all eternity, and I will have everything that I could ever imagine or need because that's what you promised to me. But you promised to me also to be with me right now. That as we sing ourselves into Christmas, we're singing that hope, that longing of Job, and for us to take hold of that promise, hold of that truth, hold of that grace and love, and then live it. Friends, no matter how hard times are ahead, things get locked down completely. If COVID takes over everything, if your work gets changed, if relationships get fractured, if there is sickness everywhere, it doesn't matter what it is. God is present. And his blessing is real. And you and I, though we may not feel it, can always know it because he promised it to us. And God always keeps his promises. Let's pray together. You have reminded us again this morning, Father, of your promise to be with us. You are with us now and always. You are the answer to that great question, where is God? And the answer is here with us forever and always. Here with us for all eternity. Here with us in all love and grace. We thank you, O God, for that great gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.